Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. We certainly appreciate your time tonight. I'm Natasha Zubest for an Elizabeth Vargas. I'll see you back here tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern. Don't go anywhere. On Balance is next. Tonight, canceling back. The cancel culture is turning on the far left. Sane Americans flip the script on cancel culture. It was exhilarating, it was energetic. Woke remakes. What is Snow White without her seven dwarfs? The actor Wee Man tells us how remaking Snow White and Willy Wonka with full-size actors hurts the very group they're supposed to help. Bringing Bud Light back. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Heir to the beer fortune, Billy Bush wants to purchase the slumping brand from its corporate overlords. What would Kid Rock think about that? The people at the heart of cancel culture are now getting canceled. Look what's happening on college campuses, for instance. Billionaires pumped $500 million in the Ivy League schools are now backing out over failure to condemn the Hamas terror attacks on Israel. Harvard and UPenn face losing hundreds of millions in future endowments. Three Harvard and Columbia University law students lost job offers. This was a letter written by the law firm Davis, Polk, and Wardell. Quote, the views expressed in certain statements of the signed law school student organizations in recent days are in direct contravention of our firm's value system. For this reason, and to ensure we continue to maintain a supportive and inclusive work environment, the student leaders responsible for signing on to these statements are no longer welcome in our firm. It's not just students in universities. This dentist was let go from CG Smile Dental Practice in Miami, video surfaced of him allegedly tearing down pictures of the victims of the Hamas terror attacks. Then there's this employee at Citibank who wrote, no wonder why Hitler wanted to get rid of them all. This was an officer at the Department of Homeland Security. You can see her post right there. It says, free Palestine, free Palestine, posted a day after the attack. She has been since put on leave. Department of Homeland Security. And a pro-Hamas rally is scheduled at the Marriott in Arlington, Virginia, this Saturday. Group to fight anti-Semitism is calling on Marriott to cancel it. With us now, Ricky Schlott. Greg Lukanoff, co-authors of the book, The Canceling of the American Mind, Cancel Culture, Undermines Trust and Threatens All of Us, But There Is a Solution. Um, Ricky, I'm going to start with you because you and I have talked about this issue before. Uh, when you started yeah. writing about this book, did you think that this is where it was going to head? This is quite the time to write a book like this, that's for sure. And I think it's a demonstration of the fact that people who genuinely are committed to free speech are quite often put in 
very uncomfortable positions defending the rights of people to say often detestable things. And I, and this is a demonstration of that. I know my co-author Greg has been a First Amendment attorney for, for decades now and was actually put in the position of having to occasionally defend people who said really heinous things about September 11th while the, the, the smoke was still rising from the World Trade Center. So this is certainly um, quite the time and, and frankly, personally, an uncomfortable position for me as, as someone who's who's very offended by, by a lot of the rhetoric that has become frighteningly common in this country surrounding this conflict. Greg, I guess the question is, um, I may defend to my death your right to say things that are extraordinarily offensive, but where, where is the line between a First Amendment right protected by the government and yeah. a organization's right to say we're not going to have people who express certain points of view, we're not going to have racists, we're not going to have anti-Semites, we're not going to have bigots, whatever it is, inside the organization. Yeah. I mean, our definition of cancel culture is the uptick in campaigns to get people fired since 2014. So by our definition, this fits, um, because we are talking about things that maybe a company can legally do, but we, we, it, should, it should still give us some pause. I want to be really clear here, though. A company absolutely can decide who they hire. That is 100% within their call. But if you look back to 2020 and, and 2021, I particularly don't want people on the right suddenly thinking, oh, yeah, we, we, we should cancel them all. Remember what it started to look like. It started to look like at some of these corporations that unless you towed the line on, say, BLM or something like that, you couldn't have a job because the official company position was pro, uh, pro BLM or, or, or pro the, you know, even pro what eventually became the riots. So I just wanted people to pause and, and, and think for a second. If you want it to end up in a situation where basically you can't have a job and an opinion at the same time, I understand the outrage. And universities have been incredibly hypocritical about freedom of speech. And the fact that Harvard is now actually trying to claim it's good on free speech is, you know, unbelievable. It's, they finished, no, it's, dead, yeah, they finished it's dead last in our campus free speech ranking. And, and they have they have and it's very convenient that now they're discovering it. But they have a lot to prove. You know, Ricky, back in the day, especially when it came to advertisers uh, who would advertise on anything that BLM didn't like or the left didn't like, they would call advertisers and, and newspapers participate in this. And they would say, um, hey, Mr. Advertiser, uh, do you realize you advertise on a show that promotes all of these terrible things? How dare you? Uh, and we're going to organize against you, the advertiser, unless you pull your advertising. Um, are we getting to that point, number one? Is that going to be done about this this Hamas issue? But more importantly, what do you make now specifically of the money issue on universities? Because this is different, right? This is now groups who give a lot of money demanding universities do things in return for that money. And in some cases, at least so far, the universities are saying, you know, fine, take the money. Uh, we don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think on the institutional front and and universities um, quite suddenly realizing something that should have been evident for a long time, which is that institutions do not have opinions. Institutions are create are are formed of people who have individual opinions, and yet historically, institutions have had opinions about uh, Black Lives Matter rallies, about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, about all manner of things that seemed quite strange and inappropriate for them to be. Um, weighing in on on an institutional level and then all of a sudden they're they're viewpoint neutral and i think that it's a very i mean i think that's the the right path forward but it's a very revealing moment to have realized as much um i wouldn't be surprised though if this this financial pressure does ultimately 
cause more and more schools to reverse course on this neutrality because this is pretty unprecedented and money talks and certainly these institutions are are awash in money with donors and would be fundamentally changed if if those that if that was to truly and meaningfully go away yeah uh, Greg, last question to you very quickly. Um, is this perhaps not to say that cancel culture is necessarily turning full circle and starting to eat its young, if you will, uh, but this, yeah. may, this may sort of force the end to it? Mm-hmm. I think that's possible. Um, and I think that you know, donors mindlessly giving to their elite alma maters that have huge amounts of money in the bank has been part of the problem. That's why universities think they can get away with, with anything. And now actually yeah. making pressure to defend free speech, to be politically neutral is great. I'd also love to see a lot of people investing in things that can get entirely get higher, elite higher education out of the way. There's massive reform that needs to happen, and donors can be a positive effect on that. All right. Uh, congratulations to you both on the book. I mean, boy, it could not have come um, at a better or more prescient time. Uh, be- better lucky than good. Per- better lucky than good, perhaps. But you're writing about something that's important. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's part of our informal poll at the Iowa State Fair. The Bud Light boycott continues. No Bud Light being sold at the Iowa State Fair. In fact, the boycott's getting worse since they hired a transgender influencer, Dylan Mulvaney. Bud Light's corporate overlords at InBev reportedly believe sales of Bud Light will never come back. It's hard to imagine, given Bud Light's reign as the best-selling beer in America. Of course, a lot of that was attributed to the company's marketing back when Anheuser-Busch owned it. Pete didn't kill you for an ad like that. The Bush family no longer controls the beer maker. InBev took over after serious missteps by the Bush family. Billy Bush outlines many of them in his book, Family Rain, that details how the family and then the company lost its way. He now wants to buy the Bud Light brand back, and Billy is with us from his hometown, my hometown of St. Louis. Uh, All right, would the frogs come back? Sure. I mean, the frogs were a great advertising. We'd have the Clydesdales, um, which... uh, which, of course, InBev um, owns right now. They own all the rights to all of that stuff. But uh, if they were to sell me the uh, brand back, Bud, Bud, Bud Light, I think that would be amazing. Uh, my family, my great-grandfather, Adolphus, and it's in the book Family Reigns, he came out with uh, Budweiser back in the 1800s, 1876 to be exact, and it became the king of beers, the number one beer in the world. And that lasted until Bud Light came along, of course, back in the early 80s, and uh, Bud Light then took off and that became the number one beer in the world. And it was largely due to the great advertising that they had. You're exactly right. All right. They embraced the brand, right? They embraced the culture and no disrespect to any one beer brand, but a lot of light beers sort of taste the same people. People are brought to, to an image and to, to a club or a, a feeling of fraternity and belonging. Hey, I'm a Bud Light guy. Um, I'm going to play a, a soundbite from the CEO of An- the new CEO of InBev Anheuser-Busch, Uh, talking about the Dylan Mulvaney uh, episode, shall we say. Take a listen. Given the moment we're in, this moment in America with trans issues at the top of a Republican social uh, or conservative uh, political agenda, 
Knowing what you know now, if you could go back, would you send this can to this one person again? There's a, a big social conversation taking place right now, and big brands are right in the middle of it. And it's not just our industry or Bud Light. It's happening in retail. It's happening in fast food. Was this a mistake? You know, we, uh, Bud Light has supported LGBTQ since 1998, so that's 25 years. And as we've said from the beginning, we'll continue to support the communities and organizations that we've supported for decades. Okay. Uh, what do you understand about Bud Light and Bud Light drinkers that he appears not to? I understand that the Bud Light drinker is your blue-collar, mainly your blue-collar, hard-working American who um, really doesn't want that kind of message pushed push down their throat. Um, I just think uh, what he's not understanding really is, yes, there is a population out there for transgenders and, and gays. And, um, you know, to target those uh, discriminately in a way that um, targets uh, the, the, those, that community is great. I mean, sure, be inclusive. But don't put it on the can that everybody's going to be drinking and expect that the true Bud Light drinker, not the true Bud Light drinker, let me let me put it this way, the core Bud Light drinker is going to re- react favorably to yeah. it. Well, it's kind of interesting, right? Because Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch, back when it was under family control, was one of the original supporters of the LGBTQ pride parades and everything else. And it was because they supported people drinking beer. It wasn't trying to jam a social message down other people's throat. It was, it was a targeted marketing campaign. Um, since the Mulvaney promotion, InBev stock is down 17%. The S&P 500 up nearly 7%. This continues. You're going to be able to buy it back pretty cheap, right? Well, um, I've already I've already contacted the head of uh, Anheuser-Busch. I let them know that uh, if uh, they they are interested in, in me helping them in any way, which also would mean, of course, that I would be willing to buy back the brands, um, please let me know. And I have not heard anything from them thus, thus far. <laughs> well, based on, I think it was Whitlock or whatever the guy's name was, who was the uh CEO, it would be hard. It would take a little more of the drop in the stock price to break through the arrogance, but we'll see if it happens. Uh, Billy, thanks for being on with us. Let us know if you hear back from him, all right? Police had to stop one mom for reading pornographic book passages during a school board meeting. Wait till we tell you where she found the book. Turned her kid's school board meeting into something normally reserved for HBO late night. In fact, the police had to get involved. And here's the kicker. Her crime was describing and reading from a book called Blankets. It's a, quote, poignant graphic memoir where a young boy falls in love at church camp and apparently does things that young boys would like to do. All seven members of the committee were also asked to um, look at this image. This was in the book, and they all unanimously said that this, and along with that 15-page, okay, this is in children's libraries here in Hillsborough County. The book also contains crosstalk like this. Church camp is the best place to score um, Also, did you feel up her It has images of masturbation, naked boys peeing on each other, and sexual assault of a child, and more nudity. Julie Gephardt is here with us. Julie, uh, were you surprised when the police officer stood up? 
Uh, I was. Honestly, I had no idea that that would have happened. Um, so, yeah, it did surprise me. What What was the point you were trying to make? Do you really think the school board didn't know what was in the book? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I've been to that board uh, so many times, and it seems to me every time I come, it's like a surprise to them. They're not, they, they really don't know what's in the books. They didn't really even know about the committee meeting that had been held about this book. So the book had been challenged. It was going through this whole process. The committee at the school had met, and they looked at all of those images, and they still decided that this is something they wanted to keep in their library. There are a couple board members that did actually look surprised when I told them that and showed them that image. Um, but really, they, they, they seem to be a little bit oblivious to what's going on, or they don't care. There's a majority of them that what don't age, care. We do have a- what age kids are they? Are we talking about here? So this is high school kids, which is, you know, could be down to 13, um, 13 to 17, 18, I guess, in some cases. But... Mm-hmm. You know, I have a 14-year-old, and there is no way that I would, you know, affirm this as being something appropriate for him to be reading or looking at. I mean, we know what this does to the minds of kids. Um, it's a dopamine hit. Then they want more. They need more. And it doesn't end there. Where does it go then? Well, you know, potentially this is what's shaping, you know, the, the the news that we see now, there's so much of this sexual assault and there's, I mean, we even see a lot of teachers involving themselves with students and minors and things like that. And I just think this feeds an industry that's already destroying our nation. Well, I, I, forgive me. I mean, I, I understand being wanting to be in control of what your kids learn and don't, but mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm trying to get the connection here of, of all of a sudden teachers being involved with students in, in this quote-unquote industry with a, a novel, for lack of a better term, that, that has some graphic pictures in it. Sure. And there, you know, it, it, I'd be hard-pressed to give you an exact direct connection between that. But I will say this. The sex trafficking industry here in Tampa is rampant. And what this does is this paves the way for those kids. Because when you start breaking down those moral boundaries that they instinctively have within them, um, and you just start presenting more and more of this sexualized content to them, you know, eventually those boundaries wear down and they're far more susceptible to this industry. Uh, the headline terror from uh, past book bans. Hillbearer schools cut back on Shakespeare's, citing new Florida rules. Hillsborough County teachers have had to change their lesson plans to limit Shakespeare. Instead of students reading the full text of classics like Macbeth, Hamlet, or Romeo and Juliet, they have to read excerpts. This is the criticism leveled against folks like yourself who, who wanted the ability to, quote-unquote, ban certain books. Okay, this is just a straight-up distraction from what's actually happening. Because if if I were to show you the content, I've got books sitting all around me from our school. If I were to show you the content, you would have to turn off the cameras. You wouldn't be able to show it on your program. Um, We saw that happen when the governor had the press conference, the Book Ban Hoax conference. They had to turn off the cameras. So we're not talking about Shakespeare. I haven't heard parents going into meetings talking about Shakespeare. I don't know if you have. But that is just a, a distraction, and I think it's, it's silly. 
So why why would it seem something so obvious, right, to to sort of fair-minded people that you know perhaps if 14-year-olds are going to get this kind of content, um, their parents should at least know about it and say, hey, here, Johnny or Jill, you, you can read this book or you can't read this book. Why has this become, you think, so controversial? And there are school boards now that are having um, to go through such, such gymnastics over it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that that is because of the propaganda that has been pushed through uh, some media agencies um, that just says that these are book banners and they equate people like me who want to protect children and their innocence. They equate us to the Nazis, you know, and so they they push this narrative over and over that we're silencing certain communities. Well, that's not the truth. If you look at what we've been doing, we are actually fighting against just the graphically sexually explicit content. But this propaganda push has really driven the whole thing, and it has silenced a lot of reasonably minded people. And it needs to stop. We need to stand up, and we need to just think critically. I mean, forever. Playboy has been banned from school libraries. I mean, if we're going to go that route, then let's just be straight up about it, right? <laughs> oh, boy. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about life in high school when I was a kid. It was a little simpler uh, for both of us, I guess. Uh, Julie, uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's briefly step back in history, all the way back to the 1970s, when women did not have the same opportunity in sports as men. Women said it wasn't fair, so they fought to get their own playing field. And when Title IX finally guaranteed women a field of their own in college sports, it was a great thing. It was fair. Now in 2023, the people fighting to preserve that right are branded as bigots. Last March, transgender swimmer Leah Thomas won the 500-yard women's freestyle, becoming the first transgender athlete to win a Division I NCAA championship. That didn't sit right with a lot of people, including Kim Russell, the head of women's lacrosse at Oberlin College, the head coach. Kim felt it was unfair to all the other women athletes who worked so hard to be there, especially since Leah Thomas had competed on a men's team the previous year. Coach Kim spoke out on her private social media account which was then sent to the athletic director. And that's when the backlash began. Kim was chastised for taking a stand on what she saw as integrity of women's sports. Oberlin College has tried to silence her, insisting she issues an apology and told her to stop being a unicorn, quote-unquote, and just be a horse. Oberlin's coach, Coach Kim, was removed from her position as head lacrosse coach. And let's not forget, we have covered this university before, Oberlin. Uh, Just weeks ago, Oberlin College agreed to pay Gibson's Bakery $36 million after they falsely accused them of being racist. Coach Kim Russell uh, is with us now. Really? Unicorn and horse? That seems a little, I don't know, harsh, backwards, mean, sexist? Yikes. Uh, Yeah, I, I prefer being a unicorn. Yeah. Um, all right. So help us. So you put this on your private social media and you said, look, I don't think it's fair for Leah Thomas to have won. Did you think that was a really controversial viewpoint at the time? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I actually had seen this post and it was a repost from a good friend of mine. And on the post, I said, what do you believe? I've played, coached, and started programs for women and girls my whole life. 
Well, if there's anybody who would know the difference between men and women and their sports abilities, um, it would be you. So you haven't been fired, right? You've been just sidelined, benched. What would be the right term? Um, the word they used was reassigned <laughs> and um, into another role at the college where I would be the employee wellness project manager, so working with employees and staff, not students. Did they think you were a danger to students? Did you, had you had some problem with students? Uh, I have never had any problem with students. Um, actually been known in the past as the hippie love coach because I love everyone I teach and coach. Um, I care about their overall wellness, everything from getting healthy snacks for them, especially girls and women don't tend to eat well, um, especially before practice or maybe after practice. They need to go right to a night class. So making sure there were always things to keep their bodies as healthy as possible. I can tell you the world needs more people like you who are willing to stand up on principle. Uh, That is so, so rare uh, in America these days, especially uh, in colleges and in academics. You are a, a role model in more ways than one. Thank you. Backlash over Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town was swift, but then it disappeared. The dangers of trying to take away Middle America's platform. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. The song Try That in a Small Town didn't cause much of a stir when it was released all the way back in May. But when the music video was released in July, controversy ensued. Many called it racist. Aldine's video was pulled from the airways, and journalists went on the attack against Aldine's song. Tonight, a look back at a cultural controversy that quite literally just disappeared. Jason Aldine produced a music video about the differences between small towns and big cities. Now he is a racist who inspires modern-day lynchings. Kendall Cunningham writes for the Daily Beast. Jason Aldean catches heat for racist pro-gun lyrics, a modern lynching song, and then helpfully includes a line, insurrectionist Ken, just below the headline. That's a cheap dig at Aldean's wife. So if you like Aldean's song, you, by extension, are a racist and an insurrectionist. On its face, the charges are preposterous. Luke Combs' cover of Fast Cars made Tracy Chapman a ton of money in royalties and evidently poses the unusual form of racism where a redneck idolizes and honors a black lesbian. In fact, Chapman said she loved it. Admittedly, the Jason Aldean situation is, is a little bit more complicated. For reference, just so we're all on the same page about the racist music video that inspires lynchings, we'll let you see some of it. Suck punch somebody on the sidewalk Carjacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Well, try that in a small town I know what you're thinking. We must have cut the wrong part of the song. We, of course, meant to cut the racist part that uses the N-word and talks about lynching, just like the Daily Beast said, except 
that part of the song doesn't exist. We listened to the whole song. We read the lyrics. Mostly, it's about the different consequences of robbing liquor stores and carjackings in a small town versus big city. That is undeniably true. But it didn't stop Chris William in Variety. Quote, Jason Aldean already had the most contemptible country song of the decade. The video is worse. And this is where it gets interesting. Dare to sing about a small town, and suddenly you are contemptible. Contemptible almost sounds a little bit like deplorable. And calling voters deplorable didn't work out well. Remember what the Daily Beast said, racist. This brings us full circle to suburban whites in places like Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Charlotte. They are powerful. They listen to country music. That terrifies Chris and Kendall, who speak for an entire group of reporters on the East Coast, and the West Coast for that matter, too. When America's elite gets scared, they call you a racist. Now we know the power of country music and country music culture. Democratic strategist and noted country music fan, Kurt Bardella is here. I think I could also call you country music journalist as well. Your morning newsletter is a must read in the country music world. All right. A friend and I were talking this morning about what's happened with Luke Combs and Jason Aldean and put all these dots together. Are we, are, are we connecting too many dots here? Chapman song, I think that is getting blown, frankly, way out of proportion. I think it's actually an amazing thing that Luke wanted to perform this song that has inspired him, that has meant a lot to him. This is a guy who, by the way, just performed a duet at an award show with Ed Sheeran, okay? So there is no political connotation here at all. In fact, the success of Luke's cover of this song has allowed for the fact that Tracy Chapman is now the very first black female to be a solo writer on a number one hit in country music history. This song is number one on the country radio chart this week. I think that's an amazing thing. I hope it leads to a moment where we get to see the two of them perform it together on a big stage at some point in the future. I think that would be amazing. Country music to me, as a fan, is about expression. It is about healing. It is about unity. It is about bringing different worlds and different perspectives together. That's what this song can do, and I hope they get the chance to perform it together someday. All right. Can't, can't argue there. Uh, I, I would certainly go to that concert. I think a lot of a lot of us would. I, but but really, I, I think about the, the country music fan base and people from small towns, the rural versus urban divide in America. How do we deny that rural America now is playing an enormous role politically? Oh, I think it absolutely it is. And I think that this has frankly been a blind spot for the Democratic Party for many years of how do you communicate with this segment of voters. And I can tell you, Leland, the thing that you don't do when you're trying to win a persuasion argument is start off by saying, even though I disagree with you, I'm going to call you a racist. I'm going to make stereotypical names about you. I'm going to make assumptions about you. How in the world are we going to expect as a Democrat saying this? How are we going to expect that? You should vote for us. When I lead the conversation with, you're wrong, you're a racist, you're terrible, you're ignorant, whatever all those adjectives are, that's not going to get the job. Then you have to meet people where they are. And if you listen to these songs, songs like Aldine, songs like Justin Moore, Small Town USA, one of my personal favorites, you're, you have to understand that they are singing about a personally lived experience 
that they are, are, are sharing with all of us. So all of us in the big cities, I'm in Washington, D.C. right now. I think you're in New York. It's like, yeah, it's different here than it is in small town yeah. USA, you in Tehachapi, you- California, in a Bristol. Am, like, am it's I, a different am I, world. Am I right to think that Democrats on the coast, and I think you, you have a unique perspective because of how much time you spend in middle America and in Nashville mm-hmm. and other places, but the Democrats on the coast are getting scared, uh, at the very least observing, the power now of country music culture, and that the Bud Light moment of take, you know, for whatever reason it was, it happened, but the Bud Light moment sort of woke up the Democratic establishment or the Democratic elite and their friends in the media to this concept that, that country music fans have an awful lot of political power, and they care, and they're willing to exercise it. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I think about, too, like, number one, my issue when I see stories come out from commentaries come out from places like that Variety Report, it's like, have you ever been to a Jason Aldean concert? Have you ever listened to a Jason Aldean album? If not, as a country music fan, I can give a crap what you think about any of this stuff, frankly. Number two, I do think that Democrats are starting to see that as a genre, as a form of cultural influence, country music carries a lot of impact, more so even in America, frankly, than some of the more popular, broader pop stars that have huge followings, get huge amplification, but I don't think really move the needle in a in a culturally political way the same way that country music does. Country music has 100 million listeners in America. It is one of the most yeah. for, streamed formats in the country. It's one of the only formats that grew in consumption during COVID, during the pandemic. There's a reason for that. It is relatable. It is understandable. And listen, I understand if you are if you're troubled by some of the imagery in the Jason LD music video. Personally, I am too. But the answer, if you really want right, to start but, changing minds, if you really yeah, want no, to politically look, look, make a difference, it's not to, to go after him that way. Yeah, cling to your guns and religion. That didn't work out so well. Deplorable didn't work out so well. They were talking about country music fans. I I got about 15 seconds, but I wanted to to bring this full circle. Culturally significant uh, doesn't really describe pop music, but it does describe rap music and R&B and hip-hop culture. And you think about Mm -hmm. some of the examples of violence in in rap songs, Ice-T, On Body Counts, Cop Killer, The Notorious B.I.G., Gimme the Loot, uh, Rick Ross, uh, Put Molly in... In all her champagne, she ain't even know it. I took her home and I enjoyed it. She ain't even know it. Uh, otherwise known as raping someone. Cardi B's <laughs> lyrics, which which we can't even uh, share on family friendly television, uh, to some of her songs. Uh, but we we put enough asterisks there that it's up on the screen. Um, so. <laughs> Why does that not engender the same kind of response of it is inspiring violence, it's inspiring and glorifying rape from these very same people who are clutching their pearls over Jason Aldean and video of people rioting? Listen, I've, I've said this before and I'll say again, I think that country music gets held to a double standard because I think the media that writes about it and judges it has no earthly idea what they're talking about. I've never spent five minutes in a country music concert or in a country music environment. Kurt, Kurt, uh, Kurt like you didn't suddenly earlier. become a re- Republican again, did you? No, 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 right. no, 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 no. But uh, like, like I said, you have to meet people where they are. The same thing with R&B, rap, and hip hop. That is an experience that people have lived, that yeah. these people are sharing, and it should be received that way. Country music, experience that these people have lived, that they are sharing. We need to do a better job listening to one another when it comes to music and art. Yeah, well, and politics as well, turns out. Uh, well, good- let's not go too crazy, Lula. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you.
Since that story first aired in July, Jason Aldean has spoken out about the controversy. He says he has one regret, and that's where the music video was filmed. Aldean said he didn't know a lynching had taken place at the courthouse until CBS News. If he had known, he might have looked at shooting the video somewhere else. Inclusion in film, well, has reached a new level. It's actually hurting the specific groups. Inclusion was designed to help the actor we man on ending Hollywood's hypocrisy. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Show me that smile. Show me that smile. Different strokes it takes. Different strokes it takes. Different strokes to move the world. There you have the facts of life. The facts of life. What will we do? Okay, do you sense a theme here? Your favorite sitcoms from the 80s and 90s are all in one place. Rewind TV. Just go to rewindtv.com and check it out. When I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. Because dancing makes me happy. I get to entertain people, and nothing makes me feel more like me. PI, a defect of the immune system, affects millions of children. Early and accurate diagnosis and treatment give children like Olivia a chance to achieve their dreams. It takes a great team to put on a show. It also takes a great team of caring people to keep a dream alive. And now my dreams are coming true. For more information, visit the Jeffrey Modell Foundation at infoforpi.org. Tomorrow on News Nation, batter up for Senate? MLB legend Steve Garvey joins Chris Live to discuss his run for U.S. Senator, his hopes to pull a GOP win in a heavily Democratic state. Tomorrow on Cuomo, then, a special edition of Dan Abrams Live, 2024 Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips talks with Dan live for the full hour, why he joined the race, and what's next in his challenge to President Biden's campaign. Tune in at 9 p.m. Eastern. Season's greetings from all your friends at News Nation. This is Brian Enton with warm holiday wishes from our family to yours. Dear hero, whoever you are, you save lives. I live with sickle cell and the pain and the issues that come along with sickle cell every day. I'm most grateful that people are willing to go out there and take their time, their blood, and give me new life. Because of you, I'm allowed to see my son grow up. Giving equals living. Give blood. Replenish the supply. Learn more at hhs.gov slash giveblood. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. How is your job to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. 
We got out of Washington State, and I think a week after, state went on lockdown for COVID. So then when we transitioned to Texas, it was very much so like, what are we going to do now? Operation Homefront has allowed our family to make something of ourselves again in the world after military. It's completely changed the way our life is. It took us from a hopeless situation, and now we're homeowners. We have a savings account. I'm the first one to own a home out of my siblings. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. Wednesdays, a CW original series. Here in Sullivan's Crossing, we treat everyone like family. From the number one New York Times bestselling author and the executive producers of Virgin River. Mom, I just have to get away from all that chaos. By going back there, that's a mistake. Starring Morgan Cohan. It's my mistake to make. And the CW return of Chad Michael Murray. We don't have stars like this in the city now, do we? And Scott Patterson, Sullivan's Crossing, all new. Wednesdays at 8, 7 central, stream free next day on the CW. You might have heard the Daily Mail scoop that Disney will soon remake Snow White without her dwarves. Snow White and, as they put it, the seven politically correct companions. They even have pictures allegedly showing the new film in production. We have no idea why Disney changed Snow White. Jason Weeman Acuna is one of the world's leading little people actors and joins us now. Do you feel better now that they're they're not saying Snow White in the Swiss Seven Dwarves? I didn't know that they changed the name, uh, but I knew that they were making this movie without the Seven Dwarves, which it, they shouldn't even call it Snow White anymore. Yeah, but I, look, conceivably, and you want to give Disney sort of the benefit of the doubt, they were doing this because they thought it would, was insulting to, to dwarves and to, to little people in some way or, or another. Um, but do you feel better that way? Is it, does it feel like it, or they just take work from people who could have played these characters and done well? They took work from people, definitely, from the, you know, the actors that are out there trying to be in Hollywood. And as a little person, I remember going out on auditions and knowing I was going to get the little person role. And I think that, you know, Disney should make it right. They should make the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and give jobs to these people who are sitting, waiting for acts, you know, gigs like this. I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out, do you think by not talking about the dwarves and, and making it so that Snow White and the Seven Misfits or whatever they're going to call it, that, that, <laughs> all, that, that, all of a, that all of a sudden there's going to be less of a stigma surrounding little people? I don't think that'll ever change. Disney's not going to change that. The world will always be the same. But, you know, they've done this movie for years. I don't think now's the time that, Dis- that that's not going to make Disney's not going to make the world right by that. No, Disney's trying to make the world right by a lot of different things. I wanted to get you get you on this because I think it's kind of interesting. Um, there, there's there's another remake being done of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Have you heard about this? Yes. And Hugh Grant is uh, playing the little person. Yeah, they've, 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 no, they've yeah. actually like miniaturized him digitally. And I, I guess he's now an Oompa Loompa. Yeah, he's an Oompa Loompa. I mean, if, look, <laughs> it is, you know, if, if people do different things to be other than what they are, okay, um, there, yes. there's, a, there's a number of different groups that get quite upset when that happens. Um, and I'm, yes. I, I'm wondering... I don't know. I'm wondering how, how it feels, especially for an actor who's made his life playing those roles. 
Uh, I wonder too. I haven't done that playing, you know, those roles. My thing in Hollywood was just being me. Granted, yes, I am a little person, but uh, I feel the struggle for other little people that have to go out and do that. And in this day and time when people are now identifying themselves as certain people, I've said this before, Hugh Grant is now identifying himself as a little person. <laughs> I, guess, I guess in a way you can, you can, hey, you know what? You can be, you can be whatever you want to be these days. Uh, you can, yeah. All right. Yeah. I, 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 something I never thought would happen. I, I guess I just can't figure out with Disney what, the, what message they're trying to send. I, I don't think it seems like you can either. Nope. Yeah. We're wondering. We keep questioning. <laughs> All, right. All right, we man. It's good to see you. Thank you very much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good day. All right, talk to you soon. Bud Light could have told Victoria's Secret a secret a little sooner. How the lingerie company is learning the hard way about what happens when you go woke. Numbers are out. And they are not pretty for Victoria's Secret. The lingerie brand sales dropped again, down 5% this year and well off its 2020 high of $7.5 billion. The brand's executives blame their embrace of body positivity rather than supermodels for the decline. That's a far cry from the CEO last year on the podcast Money Maze. Our uh, positioning is absolutely not about telling people what sexy is they can decide what sex is for themselves our job is simply to advocate for women of course victoria's secret isn't alone bud light still hasn't recovered from a 30 percent drop in sales after it hired a transgender influencer cody sanchez is here ceo and founder of contrarian thinking uh cody it's it's sort of shocking news right that trans people selling beer and fat people selling lingerie uh, doesn't work I, oddly enough that is contrarian in today's mindset Yeah, I think the thing about brands that's confusing today is you would think that if you were the head of a multi-billion dollar enterprise, you'd do one thing. You'd actually go to your customers and you'd ask them what they wanted. And instead of doing marketing 101, we have decided to believe a societal norm that everybody believes one politically correct ism. And because of that, we're going to change our entire marketing strategy in order to agree to this group of they. I'm not even sure who they is. And because people like Victoria's Secret and Bud Light did that, we're seeing Bud Light sales drop by 5.9 billion dollars. That would be like if Molson Coors entire business was cut by 50%. That's how big the numbers are. And I I think right now we need brands to go to numbers, not narrative. Look, it's been stunning. Target, Bud Light, Disney, Nike, Dove, Lego, North Face. It's across the board, right? And I would suggest that it's because the CEOs uh, enjoy being cool at cocktail parties and talking to their friends about all the things that they are doing in in the DEI or body positivity space. And the CEOs uh, get fat paychecks from the boards and the boards enjoy talking about it as well. They don't really they're, they're not beholden to the shareholders in the way they should. But it's a different discussion. My question to you is, is that the, the next generation of consumers, right, young consumers, are, are now sort of, what, looking for new brands? Or are they going to be forced to just deal with advertising from Victoria's Secret that, that's, shall we say, a little different than what you and I grew up on? I think you're going to see 
uh, brands change and the pendulum has swung really far in the other direction. Um, just like Victoria's Secret has talked about, now you're going to see them say, hey, I think women actually came here because they wanted to feel sexy. And maybe it is not a bad thing for a woman to feel inherently sexy. And the numbers seem to tell us that. I'm not even sure that CEOs think that it's cool to talk about it at parties. I think they are so far removed from what the real average American, who is the average purchaser of Victoria's Secret wants, that they actually thought this would be a, a good idea. And otherwise they wouldn't have done it because they make most of their money, 50 to 70% of their money from stock yeah. options, which is all about performance. So it's almost worse. They really think that this is what we as Americans want. And now we have to push back on them with our dollars and say it's not. Well, they're, they're, look, it's pushing back. There's also giving a lot of entrepreneurs now a chance to give consumers what they want, which perhaps is kind of cool. Hey, um, this was a great conversation. We, we enjoyed having you as a guest. We'll have you back. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. It's free. It's our daily newsletter here at On Balance. Go to warnotes.com. Great being with you. I'll see you right back here tomorrow night. The world has been focused on the war in Israel, and rightly so. I'm actually thinking that we're not calling it the right thing, by the way. I don't know that we should. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.